Thank you so much for tuning in to Spirit 95. My name is Troy Borst, and I'm the senior minister at Cincinnati Christian Church in Eastern Greene County. You can find our radio program here every Sunday at 9.30. You can also join us in person at 10.30 at our location on State Road 54 in Eastern Greene County. We'd love to have you. God bless you. Enjoy the word. In this passage, we see faith, obedience, and blessing. Did you guys know that God cannot lie? God cannot break a promise. He's faithful to do that promise no, ma no matter what. See, because God is all-wise, He has the wisdom on what promises need to be made. And because He's all-powerful, He actually has the ability to carry out that promise no matter what. And so, we have this God who is all-wise, all-powerful, infinitely worthy of our fullest trust. That we can trust Him when He promises something to us. God, in this passage, puts Abraham to this test. To see if Abraham believes that God is a God who does not lie. A God that is powerful, good, and wise. God wants for us to see that obedience to Him will always be what's for the, be for the best. It will lead to blessing. It's what's most loving for you and I and for everyone who will ever live. When we look at this passage, and we actually look in the book of Hebrews 2, we see that faith, the faith of Abraham, that he obeyed because he trusted the character of God. He did not think that if he were to sacrifice his son, that his life would go great because he appeased God's wrath. He knows he can't do that. Hebrews says that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, his one and only son, the promise of Genesis 15, because he knew that God would never make a promise he doesn't keep. Abraham knew that if he were to sacrifice his son, that God would raise him from the dead. That not only had he had the ability, ability to, but he also would. He would do it, because God is faithful. God has never made a promise that He is broken. God cannot lie. God has promised Abraham that, if his, that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars, and God was going to make good on that promise. Sometimes we act as if faith is just f blindly following God off a cliff. Because he's, these people are from a different time. Abraham didn't understand. Uh, they were dumber back then. That's what we think, and to be honest, that's kind of insulting. People think faith is about blindly following something even though you have no proof it's true. I find that really insulting. I don't want to waste my life thinking Christianity is true when it's not. Like, following Jesus is only beneficial if He's real, if He's true, if He's really done the things He said He's done. I don't want to waste my time on a lie, and I don't know why you would either. Instead, I give my life not to this promise, but the person who made the promise. I trust the maker of the promise. I became a Christian because I have incredible confidence in the claims of Jesus. I don't blindly trust, therefore I have faith. I have faith because, I, because it's true and I'm willing to trust the heart of God even when I don't understand the ways of God. I did the research. I studied long and hard. I looked at all the evidence. I, see, I wanted to see if Jesus was even a real person. right? Because if He's not even a real person, then what's the point? And so I, I, met, I looked at the arguments of what people had said about God and who had said He isn't real, He isn't, and who He is. I looked at all that. And I came to the conclusion that Jesus was actually who He said He was. He was the Son of God that died for our sins in our place. And He really did raise from the dead. Not just a, 
oh, that's kind of a metaphorical cute. No, he literally raised from the dead. I believe that. If faith is about blindly following an unknown God, then I don't have any faith. But that is not what faith is. Faith is about shaping your life around your beliefs. Because I believe it's true, I'm going to act like it's true. I will put myself in situations that requires me to trust, to have faith, that what I believe is actually true. See, I need to know that it's not just kind of I say I believe it, but it's actually true. In the sense that, you know, if I told you that I believe I could, out, I could wrestle a silverback gorilla and win, until I step in that cage, you're not going to believe me. And neither would I. That's ridiculous. Faith is, a taking, is about taking action steps towards your belief, not creating the belief. So say a knight, there was a knight, he, he had a fight and he had the shield he trusted. He would use it to block blows with his adversary if he had faith in it. You'd expect, expect him to use it. Imagine if this knight was talking up about the shield, how it was forged from the fire of a volcano, that it was used, uh, forged by the greatest blacksmith there ever was if it was made from the most pure metals. You'd expect him, with that kind of, that talking about that shield, that belief in the shield, that he would let his actions determine, or his, his beliefs determine his actions. Right? You would expect him to use it. But then what if he goes off into battle and he leaves that shield behind? You would see that his belief had no faith behind it. There was no conviction. He left it behind because he didn't trust it. He might have said that it could protect him, but he didn't act like it. So whether you're religious or not, everyone has faith. Everyone has a belief and lives based on that belief, or they don't, and they're a hypocrite. If you say no God exists, well, that doesn't exclude you from faith. That just excludes you from hope. And when you act hopeful, you're being a hypocrite. Everyone has faith and lives their lives based on that faith. Maybe your beliefs is that there's no divine justice, and so you live as if who you sleep with doesn't matter. What you say doesn't matter. Your actions don't really have ultimate consequences. That's fine. That's your faith. That's what you believe in. This is still faith, even if it's just a faith in vanity. We just got through Ecclesiastes. We know what vanity is. Meaninglessness. Nothingness. And when you do something outside your worldview, you act out of line with the faith that you claim, you're being a hypocrite, just like everybody else. Everyone has faith. Everybody has faith that's either weak or strong. And we act in line with it or we act out of line with it. In the same way, when I say I believe in God and I preach about Him, I don't want my, my Sundays to look like, okay, I preach, and then the rest of my week looks like I don't believe He exists. I want to have faith just like Abraham. I want to live in light of my beliefs. And in this story, Abraham is doing this thing of faith. He isn't just blindly following a mess. He's operating out of the knowledge of the character of God, the God who made a promise. He trusts Him. He's operating in true faith, not blindness. See, Abraham trusts God. Um, says, he says he trusts God even when he doesn't see the hands of God. He trusts the, the heart of God even when he doesn't see His hand. He trusts the character of God even when he doesn't know His plan. Christian faith is about trusting the heart of God, not blindly following uh, Him off a cliff. Real faith is not blind submission to an unknown God. That's what people who hate God and hate the Bible would tell you. This passage is about obeying a known God even when His ways are unknown to you. And what we as modern readers of this passage need to understand is that God calls for you isn't necessarily to do something big and courageous and crazy. 
what actually our call for us most likely is the simple obedience. Doing the simple things that you already know. The commands of God. We know these commands. We have our Bibles. And if you've read your Bible, you know it says to not do things. It says to do do things. It says to follow His commands. And that following His commands will bring about life for everybody who knows it. We know that God's commands are best for us and for our children. And, but we also know that sometimes situations seem to call for panic. Seem to call to us to be scared, to freak out, to not understand. We think the best option for us is just to, to do what we think is best. But the God of Abraham tells us to trust Him. He tells us, us that worrying will not add a single second to our lives, but we know now that worrying actually kills us. It can end your life sooner than planned. He instead says, when you don't feel as if you can trust my plans, you can always trust my heart. And that's when you will learn this walk of obedience that Abraham learns. We live in a day and age where worry and fear are at an all-time high. And if there's no God of the universe, then we have plenty of reason to worry. That means we're alone. We need to get, we need to get figured out. It means we have to handle it on our own. Our culture is in love with that or in love with this idea of a God who has no consequences to sin, who doesn't care about what you do um, as long as you're happy. That's the ultimate goal is to make you feel satisfied in yourself. He doesn't withhold. He withholds truth and that's just not loving. That's not the God I serve. Because the God I serve is this living God of Abraham that says, trust me. Don't be anxious like the world. Don't be fearful like the world. We have a God that whenever we don't understand His plans, we can always understand His heart. So we can actually believe Him when He says, don't panic, don't be anxious, don't be afraid. It's not because He's out of touch with reality. It's that because He's so in touch with reality, we now have real and legitimate reason not to be afraid, not to be anxious, not to worry. Instead of doing those things, He gives us something else to do instead. Instead of being afraid, He says obey. Instead of freaking out about what's going on, obey. He asks for obedience. We act like that's a bad thing, but that's actually God loving us. That's actually God caring for us and showing us His kindness. And as I was studying this passage, I saw something pretty cool. If you would uh, turn open to the Genesis 22 passage, it's in verse 18. I found out this really cool word. It's uh, shama. He says in verse 20, chapter 22, verse 18, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have Shama obeyed my voice. Everybody say Shama. Okay. It's this idea, this word means, literally means to hear, but in verse 18 it's translated obey. See, because for them, this word wasn't just a hear and think about it. Like we, we hear and we want to decide whether or not we'll obey. But he's telling us here to hear it and do it. And because he heard, he obeyed. We have a God who cares about our obedience. Sometimes we hear, but we don't always obey. We see that God wants us to shema, to hear and obey. He wants us to obey Him. He knows His ways are better. And that is what is at the center of us life for us believers. That's what brings us comfort and joy is obedience to the commands of God. See, the clearest way to tell if somebody loves God or doesn't is whether or not they love His commands or they don't. Whether they love His commands or they hate them. Whether you desire to obey God even if it feels like a sacrifice 
or whether you're always self-preserving and trying to figure things out on your own. See, right now, a lot of people, especially my age, will really hate the commands of God. They see it in the Bible and they don't like it. It makes them stressed out. And, they, and, and it's funny because they say that there's so much peace in knowing yourself better, but they reject the person that they need to know in order to know themselves better. And they actually become the most angry and stressed people I have ever met in my life. The most unloving, the most hateful. They will call themselves Christians, but every time they see a command they don't like, they just either say it's not actually how that works, or they'll go, okay, I found out this is how this works, and so in order for me to live this life, I'm just going to say it's not God's word. The Bible's not God's word. I don't have to obey. I don't have to obey that. That was written by a bunch of different people. That wasn't written by God. This is happening to a lot of people I know, sadly. A lot of people I love. And they're by far the most angry and anxious group of people I have met. Following God's commands is about trusting the heart of God, even when you don't understand the plans of God. This leads to a natural blessing of comfort, of safety, security, less anxiety, more peace. See, this is something that the world cannot provide. The world cannot bring this kind of blessing that God's commands brings. There's no lover, no drug, no surgery, no pill, no animal, no child, no sibling, no parent, no spouse, no wealth, no luxury. There's nothing on this earth that can give you the kind of peace that God offers with it, with, that comes through obeying His commands. Like You could take all of those things and I'll just have God's commands and in 10 years the Bible says that I'm going to be happier than you. That I'm going to have more life and more peace than you because I'm trusting the heart of God even when I don't understand the ways of God. The Jewish people deeply believe this. If you all would, turn now to Psalm 119. We see a beautiful picture of how much the Jewish people really did ultimately believe in God's law. This Psalm 119 is actually a Torah psalm. Torah means law. And so it's this psalm of, this, of them singing about how great God's word is, how great his law is. The first five books in the Old Testament are the Torah. That's the commands of God. And they sing of, it, of the wondrous things of it. And so what I want you to notice when you read this, we're going to read just a little chunk because it's super big. Um, we're going we're to just notice the language they use when they talk about God's commands. The kind of language and the things this writer feels about when he talks about God's law. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read to verse 24. The psalmist says, Blessed are those whose ways is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precept to be kept diligently. Oh, that my way may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight inasmuch as all riches... I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. 
I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselor. Do we talk about God's law like that? Like seriously? I think often when we see these laws in the Bible, we're just like, oh man, that seems oppressive. That seems like a lot. But God actually says it's for our benefit. And the, the psalmist says it's his counselor. It brings him peace. He delights in the laws more than riches. Can we say the same thing about God's law? Do we care? This is what Abraham sees, and this is why Abraham is blessed. This is his faith going to his obedience, and his obedience bringing about blessing. Because he believes God's ways and commands are bringing about life, peace, and ultimate joy, he submits to them even if he doesn't get it. Are you tired of feeling anxious? Obey God's law. Are you tired of being afraid? Obey God's law. Are you tired of being angry at everybody all the time? Obey God's law. Are you tired of never finding any peace? Are you tired of your worries? Okay, well, obey God's law. Obeying God's law, meditating on them day and night, praying through them, obeying them will bring about abundant blessing. This is a very counterculture message to everything the world teaches you right now. Blessed are those who ways are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who do also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. Abraham was asked to obey God, and he was comforted with blessing because he trusted the God of the universe isn't cruel, He isn't a liar, and He isn't trying to trick us. Do you believe that God has your best interests at heart? Do you believe that He loves you? If you hate God's commands, the answer is no. You don't believe it. And that's okay. Well, that's, that's you operating out of your true faith. This isn't the heart, though, of everything God created you to be. So when you refuse to obey His law, and you refuse to have a faith in a God who never breaks His promises, when you refuse to submit your ways to His, then you'll never find that true peace. Not because He's withholding it from you, but because you don't want it. You've settled for less. He's not given you less. It doesn't have to be like this, though. The Jewish people knew this. They believed it. They knew the law was to their benefit. They knew that obeying the law, meditating on the law, was going to be a blessing for them. And a, a love for God. They, they believed it so much that they made a prayer about it. Actually, in Deuteronomy 6, 4-5, through we see a similar word to the Shammah. It's a slightly different spelling. It's from the same word. It's called the Shema. If you would, turn to Deuteronomy 6, 4-5. through 5. See, the Jewish people just deeply believed in God's love for them and how they could love Him by obeying Him. They had this prayer in this Deuteronomy where this is actually a command, and we'll see in a second here, that they, they believed it so much they prayed it every single day. When Jesus was growing up, He would have been praying this prayer every single day of His life. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4-5. through Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. See, don't forget this word Shema. 
It's not just listen, it's do. So it's not saying hear this and think about it. It's saying no, do this. It's a command. Do love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. Do love God like that. It's a command, not a suggestion. We are to love God with everything we have at all times. That's what we were made to do. This is the standard. This brings about the most life, the most peace, and the most joy. The Jewish people prayed this on a daily basis because they absolutely believed it. But they actually knew that they absolutely fall short of it. The implication here is that at every moment of every day of your whole life, you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because of sin, we don't do that. And that, therefore, is a sin because this is a command. It's not, it's not a suggestion. This is a command. This is in the book of Deuteronomy. This is a law. And when you don't act out in this way, you're being a hypocrite. You're falling short of God's glory. You're sinning. And so this is where we get into the problem because none of us can truly love God completely that way all the time. This gets things tricky. See, God and Abraham, they made this covenant. And this covenant rests on God's faithfulness to us and our faithfulness to Him. It's this uh, covenant. It's basically like the promise. We've been talking about this promise in Genesis 15. A covenant is like a promise, but with greater implications. So if I say I promise to do something for you, like I promise to um, go fill up your car with gas, okay, well, there's not great implications if I don't do that. But in a covenant, it's more like a marriage. So if you say, I'm going to love you for the rest of my life, and then you don't, that has greater implications. You divorce, it has implications. And so this is the same kind of promise. See, God promises Abraham that he'll make his descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. And then Abraham says, you will be the, my Lord, my God. I will obey your commands. In Genesis 15, we see Abraham and God do this covenant. This is the ceremony where they lay out these animals. Actually, what's really cool is Abraham, this is a, this is a common, common covenant. Like Abraham wasn't shocked whenever God asked him to do this. He actually didn't even have to wonder what these animals are for. He knew exactly what they're for. You would cut the animals in half and, and part them, and then you would walk through, both parties would walk through the ends of the dead animals. And so it was a symbol to say, if either one of us broke this covenant, then the one who broke it will be like these animals. The one who broke this covenant will have to die. So what we see that's even cooler than this is that God puts Abraham to this kind of like this sleep. It's not, he's not actually asleep, but he's kind of in this dread where he can't really do anything, but he's witnessing what's going on. And what we see here is that God walks through both ends of the covenant. He walks through both ends of the dead animals. Why? Because God is telling Abraham this. He says, I know you're going to break the covenant, but I will be faithful regardless. I know you can't hold up your end of the deal, so I will. So what God is doing is God is promising Abraham that when Abraham breaks his end of the deal, God pays, not him. God is promising to be faithful even though Abraham can't pay his debt. God is telling him from the very beginning that he intends faithfulness even when Abraham is unfaithful. That God will die. Does this remind you of anything? Does this ring any bells? See, if we look to that mountain where Abraham was told to offer up Isaac, we we're told of another mountain that resembles that one. When God stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son, he didn't just say, okay, now go and leave. No, he told him to stay. 
And he pointed to a ram caught in the thicket. I like to imagine that there was probably blood coming down from the, the ram's head. I don't know if that's true or not. I just I think it's a pretty picture because that's what we see in Jesus. We see a crown of thorns on his head and blood dripping from his. God didn't tell him just to leave. He says, there still needs to be payment for your sin. There still needs to be atonement. And so Abraham gets to see a glimpse of what is to come in Jesus. So God provides. A mountain is called the place where God provided. Because in that moment, Abraham got to see first firsthand that God was going to be faithful, that God was going to fulfill His end of the covenant, even though Abraham could not. See, when you forgive someone for like a literal debt, say someone owes you a bunch of money, $10,000, okay? And you forgive them of their debt. It's not like the money just poofs back in your bank account and you have it again. No, when you forgive a debt, that means you are in taking the debt on yourself. So when you say, you don't have to pay me back anymore, it's not, like, it's not like the money just comes back. The money is gone. You don't get it back. And so what happens when God forgives us? When God forgives Abraham of the debt he owes, it's not like God's just forgetting it ever happened. It's that God is paying the debt himself. Jesus was born into this world and lived the Shema perfectly. He loved the Lord our God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every second of every day, Jesus obeyed God with his whole heart. He sought him with his whole heart, loving the Father. Jesus did not stop loving the Father for a moment. And he loved the Father until the very end. God looks at us and he says, if you obey me, if you obey me, I will give you life, abundant life. And we completely disobeyed him. And then he looks at his own son, Jesus, and he says, if you obey me, if you, for every second of every day, love me with your whole heart, with your whole mind, your whole strength, I promise I will crush you for them. I promise you will take on their pain and their suffering if you go through with this. And he obeyed. See, it's one thing to commit yourself to, to obeying someone, knowing you would be blessed, but it's a completely other different thing to obey knowing you'll be cursed. Imagine you tell your child, if you're, if you're good today, after school, I'll give you some ice cream. I'll, uh, for, for dinner, I'll serve you your favorite dessert. But then uh, that kid, you know, is going to try his best to have a good day. But if you told that kid, okay, have a good day at school, have a great day at school, and if you have a good day at school, I promise for dinner, afterwards, we will serve you for dessert. He's not going to listen. He's going to disobey Nobody would listen to that. Of course, I'm going to have the worst day possible. But Jesus didn't. He had the best day every day. So now, what God asks for us is not, just, it's not to obey the law perfectly, but it's to trust in His sacrifice. To trust that He loves you. To trust that His commands are for your benefit. To trust His abounding, steadfast love for you. He gave up His right of self-preservation And He asks you to do the same. He says to trust Him that when He went to die on your behalf, when you believe in His sacrifice, when you trust in it, you stand under the weight of it. Real faith is about trusting the heart of God when you do not understand the plans of God. And what's really cool about this Genesis 15 passage is the very beginning when He says to Abraham, I will be your shield. That's a big deal. I will be your shield. And your reward will be great. See, think about shields. Shields... They're not meant for attacking. They're meant for blocking. They're meant for protection. 
And a shield is a barrier between you and something that is going to harm you. Something is going to hurt you. So what is it God is protecting us from? God is protecting us from Himself. See, God has to, has to destroy sin. It has to be done. For your and I, my benefit is sin has to be dealt with. It cannot just be let going on rampant. We look in the book of Judges and we see what happens when sin goes rampant. We have to know and trust in the God who is our shield. For those of you who like to watch movies, um, maybe you've seen The Avengers Endgame. Okay, in that movie, in all the movies actually, Captain America has this shield and it's trustworthy, it's true. It's a good shield. It's reliable. And he actually uses it as a weapon sometimes. But uh, in that shield, you see it there in the end of the movie. He's fighting Thanos, this ultimate enemy that he's never faced before. More, he's stronger, more powerful, bigger, badder than anybody else. And as you're watching the movie, you see this fight scene where Thanos just starts to hack away at that shield. It starts to break. I actually, I was wearing my Apple Watch, and whenever your heart rate goes up, it warns you because it thinks you're having a heart attack. And so in that scene, as Thanos is just ripping away at that shield, my heart rate starts to go up and go up and go up because this thing he's trusted throughout his whole time as a superhero is failing him in his moment, his greatest hour of need. His greatest need is, is getting, he's being overtaken by that. So for you and I, sin and death has to be dealt with. It has to be punished by an all-powerful God. So what's the only shield that can actually bear the weight of that power? That's God Himself. God has to carry out the justice. It has to be satisfied. We need a shield that's worthy for the task and will bear the weight. God Himself becomes our shield because He was the only one worthy to block us and keep us protected, keep us safe. So the only thing He now asks of you is to trust His protection. To trust in His commands. To trust that He loves you. To have faith that He cares about you. Don't try and face His wrath on your own. See, the knight who left his shield on the sideline, when he went into battle, he didn't trust the shield, and so it wasn't there to protect him. It wasn't there to help keep him safe. And when we forsake Christ and we rely on ourselves, on our own performance, our own standards... We forsake that same shield. The shield that took on our punishment for us. If you try to use your good works and your moral performance as reasons why you're a good person, that God's going to love you, it's going to fail. It will be melted. That shield cannot stand the wrath. But if you trust in the God who is your shield, the God who has promised to protect you, the God who died on the cross for your sins, taking on every ounce of that wrath, if you Trust that shield to block you. It's enough. He's worthy. Revelation says He is the worthy Lamb that was slain for us. Jesus, the obedient Son. So what do we need to do? Trust the shield. A shield is no good if you don't trust it. If you don't trust it, you'll try to get out of the way of the attack and you'll be skewered. You'll be sliced. He doesn't want that for you. He wants to be your life. You and I, the only thing we have left to do is trust the shield and stay with it. See, how could you possibly not trust the God who has promised not to lie to you? Like, how could you not trust this God who said, I'm so committed to you. I'm so committed to everything you are. I'm trying to be for your benefit so much so that I'm willing to bless you and take on the curse. I'm I'm blessing you and taking the curse on myself. How can you not trust that God? How can you not have faith in that God? 
That is what God desires for us is this heart of we, when we don't understand the plans of God, we understand the heart of God. And when we understand that, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to achieve this self-actualization as if knowing ourselves is the best thing in the world. We have to know the God of the universe. And knowing and trusting in Jesus is the only thing that can and will save you. So what does trust in Him look like? What, is, what does it mean to have faith in Him? It's to obey His commands. Jesus says in John 14.21, He says, Whoever has My commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves Me. And he who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I will love him and manifest Myself to him. See, keeping God's commandments, it's not what earns you salvation. It's what proves you are willing to place yourself under the God who is your shield. That you trust Him. Jesus Christ took on our sin and our death so that we could have life and all we got to do is trust. See, if, when we talk about evangelism, people like to draw this picture of there's this great chasm between us and God. And then they'll put this picture of this cross in between. It's like the bridge from our, from our sin and death to God. And I think that's a great illustration. But what's the point of having a bridge if you're not willing and trusting to walk on it? Like you have to actually believe that it will hold you in order for it to work, in order for it to be good for you. If you, have strong, if, you have, if you have strong faith in a weak thing, that thing will be to your detriment. So if you are really have a lot of faith in a shield that is, is weak, it's frail, it's falling apart, you're like, it's served me many good years, I'm sure it'll serve me now, but it's bent, it's dented, it's rusted. And you trust in it, it's not going to be any good to save you. But even if you have a little faith in a great shield, it'll protect you. As long as you're willing to be behind it, it can protect you. So I don't know who, you, who is in this morning, what faith you have. I don't know how strong it is. I, but I do beg you to, ha- to have the object of your faith be Christ. So that even if you do have weak faith, even if you do have little faith, you have a great object. You, when you walk across that bridge, you just got to trust the bridge is not going to fall. Maybe your knees are knocking. Maybe you are sick to your stomach, but you're still crossing it. But if you have great trust in a weak bridge, it's going to be to your detriment. So what I'm asking for you this morning is obey His commands. Trust Him. Know that He brings about life abundantly for you. That He took on sin and death on your behalf. And so that now, whatever life throws at you, whatever arrows or swords swing your way, you have a shield to be behind. Because He died for you. He loves you. You don't have to struggle. You can accept and willingly be placed under that shield and have life, have peace, and have joy. Not thinking about what the next thing might harden you. Because yeah, maybe harm will come, but God ultimately has protected you from Himself. And He has given you eternal life for those who believe and trust in Him. Amen? Thank you for listening to our radio program this morning. We hope that you are encouraged by God's Word. You can always join us at Cincinnati Christian Church every Sunday at 1030. You can visit us online at CincinnatiCC.org. We would love to have you. God bless you. Have a great day.